0: Good morning, Foothill. Welcome. Uh, Welcome over at Baseline. Good to have you all wherever you are. And we've got a lot of work to do, so grab your Bibles. Let's go to Daniel chapter 9 or open your Bible app or your Bible program, however you want to do that. And we're going to look at Daniel chapter 9 today. Daniel chapter 9 um, has really some of the most straightforward uh, section of Scripture in it and probably the most controversial, hardest... Passage of scripture in all of Scripture, uh, verses 24 to 27, and we're going to look at all of that today, okay? Daniel chapter 9 is basically uh, broken down into two sections. Verses 1 through 19, if you look at it, is Daniel's prayer. Uh, We finally get to listen in on a prayer of Daniel. We've seen him praying before. He opened his windows towards Jerusalem, Daniel chapter 6, and he prays. We heard him we talked, he talked about praying in chapter 1, but now we get to actually uh, see him. We get to actually listen to one of his prayers and see what that's like. And then the last part, verses 20 through 27, are God's response, God's answer uh, to Daniel. Okay, and so we're going to look at those in turn. Now, we'll look at the prayer of Daniel, and, and uh, it's important for you to know that whenever you run into a prayer in Scripture, God wants you to learn something. Everything written in Scripture is written for our instruction. And and, uh, when it comes to prayers, I would say God always wants you to learn something about prayer, even when the prayer is bad. Right, there's a prayer in, in Luke that Luke actually some of the, the gospel writers record of the, of the Pharisee that prays before God and Jesus says, don't pray like him. right But there's other times when we see these prayers and God says, Here's, I want you to learn some things about prayer here. So this is a good practical thing for us to learn of what it looks like to, to, to pray and go to God that we learn uh, from Daniel. So let's kind of dive in. We'll walk through that. And then uh, we'll get to the harder part in verses 20 through 27. Okay, so, so verses, chapters one, verses 1 through 19 is, is Daniel's prayer. And what does, uh, what does the Lord want us to learn? What is Daniel teaching us about prayer? Let me give you five things. And the first thing is this. Pray with your Bible open. Pray with your Bible open. So now start reading with me in Daniel chapter 9. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede, so now we're back to, remember, chapter 5 when Darius came to power, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer. Now stop there. Remember what's happened. Daniel in Daniel chapter uh, chapter 1 we found out that Daniel was just a, a young boy we don't know maybe he was 10 15 you know somewhere in that range and he was he was uh, deported out of Jerusalem and into Babylon and that began the deportation that would last about 20 years of bringing most of the citizens of Jerusalem and there was the there was the destruction of the first temple there was the destruction like any siege that took place the destruction of the city and so everything so now at this point in history Jerusalem basically lies barren it lies desolate okay well Daniel as we have said Read scripture, And he apparently really loves the book of Jeremiah because Jeremiah was a prophet. We don't know how old Daniel was, but Jeremiah prophesied and said to Israel, because of your stubbornness, because of your wickedness, because you refuse to obey God, there, then, then God's justice, God's wrath is going to be poured out on Jerusalem and you're going to be deported. And so Daniel's reading this and he knows that all of these things have taken place just as God said they would. And then he realizes, wait a second, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, is no longer in power. Darius is in power. So maybe what happens is Daniel is reading in in Jeremiah chapter 25, and he gets to this verse in, in chapter 25, this prophecy of Jeremiah, verse 11. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste. That's happened. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. He's going, okay, 70 years. He gets over to chapter 29, verse 10, right before the uh, verse we all like to put on t shirts and coffee cups. And he says this For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Okay, so what's he doing? He goes, Okay. Hey, Part one has already taken place. The king of Babylon is no longer in power. So maybe God is ready to fulfill part two. We're coming to the end of seventy years. We don't know exactly when this is. Maybe it's been 60 years, 65 years, you know, 68, something we don't know. But somewhere around there, Daniel reads the prophecy and realizes, aha, this is about to come to an end. I believe what I read in Scripture, and so I'm going to go to God. He's praying with his Bible open. See, some of us, like, we, we have a hard time praying, and one of the reasons some of us have a hard time praying is because we think, well, you believe like me that God is absolutely sovereign. God knows the beginning from the end. There is nothing that God doesn't know. God knows when I'm going to die. He knows what's going to happen to me. He knows the blessings he's going to give to me. He knows the things that will be withheld me, all of these things. And he is so sovereign, he knows the beginning from the end. So some of you think, well, if God is so sovereign, if God knows that, you know, 70 years are going to pass and all this is going to do it anyways, why do I pray? What's the point of praying if God is sovereign? Now, if you ask Daniel that question, Daniel would say, I pray because God is sovereign. I pray because I look at Scripture and I see the promises and this animates me to say, oh, God, here it is. Look at it again. Fulfill your promises to me. Fulfill your promises to your people. Let's see, how many of you ever get to a place where you're like, I, I don't, I'm don't. i in a situation Whatever. I don't know how to pray? You can raise your hand because this is me. Anybody? Am I alone? Okay, good, good. So you're like, great. I, 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 don't, I don't know what to say. And the wonderful thing is the Bible actually deals with that. Uh, Paul says in Romans chapter 8, we don't know how to pray as we ought. The Spirit intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. But, but there's other things. Like, that's why we go to Scripture. And what do we do? We, we open up Scripture, and there's all kinds of promises. We understand that all of these things were put there. So we read things like Romans 8. We read further in Romans 8, suffering produces endurance. God, I'm suffering. God, you know what I'm going through. Now let that produce in me endurance and let that endurance produce character and let that character produce hope in me that you're doing something on my behalf. That's a promise of scripture. You go to Philippians and you read that, you know, the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Oh, God, would you give me the peace that you promised you would give me? You go to Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So you would say, I'm walking through that valley, I'm walking through this time where I'm, I'm mourning the death of somebody or watching somebody die. And God said, I'll be with you. I'll always be with you i can pray that i can pray according to james ask for wisdom he'll give it to you i mean i could go on and on what happens it's because we open our bibles we see the promises of god see one of the things we got to do and one of the reasons we struggle with prayer is because not because we don't necessarily know what words say we don't open our bibles and read enough if we just read. This is how we're supposed to approach prayer is is see in Scripture the promises of God and to pray them. The second thing Daniel does is he approaches God with humility, right? So now now look at verse uh, 3. He says, then I turn my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy. Okay, that's really a summary of Daniel's prayer right there. This is what I did. In my prayer, I went and I sought him. Merciful God, please be merciful to us. Now, think about that before we get to the next part. Think about what that means. If you're going to go to God and plead for mercy, what are you saying to God? I don't deserve what I'm asking you to do. Right? That's mercy. Mercy is getting what you, what you don't deserve, right? I deserve justice, I get mercy. I deserve, I deserve to be punished, but I, I get a reward. That's mercy. That's I don't get the punishment. I, I, I get the blessings of God. See, that alone will put you in a place of humility. That is the right approach in prayer to understand that I am totally dependent. I can never earn God's mercy. If I can earn it, if I can get to a place where God now owes me, it's not mercy. But Daniel goes, I, I, we need your mercy, but it's not just his prayer, it's his posture. I mean, look what else it says. He says, I, 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 I sought this him by prayer and pleas with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Now, what's that? If you're a Jew and somebody died... Uh, or there was some terrible tragedy that happened, um, you'll see this in Job, you'll see this in a lot of places in Scripture, that the person would take off their clothes, put on a sackcloth, and put ashes on their head, and, and would, would be in a prostate position before, before God. Right, God, you, you, I, 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 I don't deserve this, and, and what's going on? And they would be mourning what's happening in their lives, They'd be mourning some kind of death. This is Daniel's posture. Something tragic has happened. We've been deported. And he's going to get to the why here in a second, but he looks to God and says, "This is my posture." Listen, we talked about this a few weeks ago. That one of the things that would help us approach God properly in prayer is our posture. Is simply the idea of kneeling before God. I mean, how many of you, when's the last time you knelt before God as a reminder? It might might trigger something in you to realize I am a beggar coming before a holy, awesome God, and I I can only plead for mercy. This This is the right posture. Daniel's approach is an approach of humility. But now, let's keep going. The third thing, I think, is to remember to whom you're praying. Look at verse 4. <clears throat> verse 4 says, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confessions, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. See, now, this is where all prayer starts. I mean, I think about your prayers. How many of them just jump right in? Dear God. Bless me. Dear God, help me with this. Dear God, I have a test this week. Dear God, I've got this issue at work. Dear Lord, help me with my wife or my husband or my kids or whatever. Instead of starting with the great and awesome God. This is where all prayer... This is why Jesus says in this model prayer when he says, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, you're not like us. You're not, you're not like down here on our level in the sense that you're just one of us. You're, just, you're, you're so different. Hallowed be your name. You are the mighty, majestic, sovereign, holy, awesome God. But he, he goes on and he says, it's not just that. He says, you're, you're full of steadfast love. You know what steadfast love you keep covenant and steadfast love. Steadfast love is the Old Testament version of the New Testament word grace. It's a Hebrew word kesed. It's where the, the New Testament writers looked back and got this, borrowed it, and said they turned it into this word charis, this, this, word, this word for grace. It's your, your gracious God. So, so we pray. Sometimes maybe you've been in a meal where somebody prays God is good, or God is great, God is good, whatever your order, let us thank him for this food, amen. You shouldn't pray that prayer unless you really stop and think about what you're, what you're saying. That God is great. And God is good. And you need both sides of, those co- of that coin. See, see, if you don't remember, if you don't stop, and we need to remember all the time, if you don't remember that God is good, your prayers will be puny. And I, I wager to guess that most of us pray puny prayers. I think, just think about this. Well, let me, I'll just take, bring you into my life. How often do I pray things like this? Lord, be with Michelle today. What? Like, she's my daughter. I'll be with her, Chris. I promised her that. Can you go any bigger? Can you be a little more, can you get a little more specific? Right? But why? Because I immediately jump into, oh, be with, and do this, and do that, and do this, instead of stopping and going, God, you're awesome. You're great. You're the one who spoke, and the universe leapt into existence. You're the one who, who does all of these. You heal people, and you, you, you know, the, you, you utter your voice, and the earth melts, Psalm 46. This is the God I'm crawling out to. When was the last time you or I cried out to God for a remarkable outpouring of God's Spirit? for something that would peel your face back and say, I can't believe God did this. When's the last time you prayed for somebody by name that you thought, no way, they could never be saved? My sister, my brother, my cousin, whatever, this neighbor that I have, and pray for them. So God, only you, you have to remove the darkness from their eyes, but you can because you're the great and awesome God who called darkness light and light darkness. You do the impossible. And when we think like that, our prayers could never be too big, right? If you don't have a great God, your prayers will never rise above the level of your God. And so we got to remind ourselves all the time how great God is. But you also have to remind yourself how good and gracious God is because the same thing will happen. Not only will they be puny prayers if you don't remember God's pray, uh, grace, they will be non-existent prayers. Right? Think about this: if I don't believe that God is good and gracious, then what, I, what, what am I thinking? I'm so I'm I'm too sinful. God could never answer my prayer. Like like you know I I I I'm I'm just a big disappointment to God. And so, God, you, you know, I, I, can't, I can't get into your good graces, right? And so I'm, I'm afraid. I'm, I'm afraid I'm disappointing you. And so what I'll do, I, I won't go at all. Or when I go, it'll just be kind of these generic prayers. But when I remember God is great and God is good and he's gracious, well, now my prayers are totally animated, right? Now I can go boldly before the throne of grace and ask for help in time of need. This is what, this is what Daniel realizes, Great and awesome God, but full of steadfast love and mercy. But now look at the, the, the fourth thing Daniel does. He admits his sin. Now, I'm not going to take time to read it all, but boy, you ought to. You start in verse 5. Just look at verse 5. This goes all the way through verse 15. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. And he's going to say this over and over again. We've sinned. We don't deserve it. We deserve exactly what you're giving to us, God. You deserve glory. You deserve your righteous. But to us, verse 7, belongs open shame. Verse 8, to us belongs open shame. To our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, everybody. We're all in this together. To our Lord, our God, belongs mercy and forgiveness all Israel has transgressed your law refusing to obey your voice the curse of the oath I mean this goes on and on saying we are guilty God before you we are sinful and we don't deserve your grace we want mercy he is fully aware see listen he understands the evidence is too overwhelming against Daniel and his friends He understands that he has no basis for looking at his own goodness and saying, God, you ought to bless us because we're really good people. Now, there's a lesson in there. Because, listen, how many of us do this? How how many of us think that the reason we're going to get good things from God is because we've been good for goodness sake? Right, that God's going to... But, listen, this isn't the basis. If... If Daniel can't go to God and say, God, God I, 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 I've got nothing that I can give to you, then what's he going to appeal to you? We'll see that in a minute. But he says, I'm sinful. I need mercy. See, see how, how many of us try to go, okay, I've heard this. I've actually, I've had people come up and tell me, you know, yeah, I've been, been trying to be really faithful to church and I'm praying more and I'm, I'm like, I'm in. And it, here, it sort of precedes this. I'm in a really rough spot, really tight spot in my life. But, you know, lately I've been praying more, going to church more, reading my Bible more, and then they'll say something like this, hopefully the man upstairs notices. What are they saying? what are you saying? If if that resonates with you at all, it's the sense that I hope you notice all these good things that I'm adding to this side of the scale, God, because if you do, then at some point I guess it gets to a place where you're obligated to answer my prayer and get me out of this pickle. Well, then you're not appealing to God on the basis of His mercy and grace. You're appealing to Him on the basis of your own goodness, And Daniel just goes, look, I got nothing. I got nothing. I'm coming to you in sackcloth and ashes. I am empty-handed. I I actually recognize that everything in the last 60-plus years that has happened to me and all my people being in exile in Babylon and now under the Medes and the Persians, I recognize we deserve every bit of it, God. And do you notice he doesn't pass the buck? I mean, listen, we've been reading about Daniel. I mean, I think everybody will agree Daniel is one remarkable man. And Daniel says things like, our sin, not they. He doesn't blame shift. And the reason I'm in this predicament is his stupid people 60 years ago blew it for us, and so now I'm here. No, he goes, I'm here because of me, because I've done wickedly. I've acted unrighteously. Listen, that's where we start in prayer we go. And this is why sometimes you'll hear, you know, we we give you sort of an outline to pray, adoration, confession, sin. See, when you see a big God, but you all see a gracious God, then you're ready to go, I can go to that God. He's willing to forgive my sins, and He's able to forgive my sins. That'll motivate you, right? So I'm saying, okay, now God, I'm going to you, and not in the soul. If Daniel isn't going to appeal, if you and I can't appeal to our own goodness as the means or the reason for God to answer prayer, then what do we appeal to? Well, that's what Daniel does next. He appeals to God's character and his promises. Look at verses 16 and 19. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, your holy hill because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem, right? All of this. He starts and he goes in. Now, therefore, O God, listen to the prayer of your servant to his pleas for mercy and for your own sake, O Lord, make your face shine upon us. O my God, incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear, O Lord, forgive, O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Do you hear what he's doing? God, my appeal is to you. Like if I have no hope in myself, I have no hope that you're gonna answer because I'm good enough that what I'm gonna appeal to you is your goodness. I'm gonna appeal to your righteousness. See, we often think that God's righteousness is what leads leads him to judge us. And that's true, by the way but it is God's righteousness that causes him to be gracious to us and merciful to us because he's saying, I will act rightly. I will act totally in accord, perfectly in harmony with my character. You know what's interesting to me about this? Did you you see what he said at the end of verse 19? Don't delay. Pay attention. Delay not For your own sake, oh my God. Now look at this. Look at this big reason. Because your city and your people are called by your name. God, here's the big reason. In this world, your reputation is tied to our reputation. And so, Lord, not because we're good, but because you're good, will you vindicate your name by being merciful to your people. That's good. That's one of those things we should cry out to God. God, I don't deserve it. But your name is tied to me. Your name in my neighborhood, your name in my school, your name in my workplace, your name in all my areas of influence is tied to me. Oh God, be merciful and gracious to me so that I might live for you. This is is us calling out and saying, this is all for your name's sake. It's for you. It's for your character. This is what we appeal to. Well, this is Daniel's prayer. God, we're not worthy, but you are. That ought to be our prayer. We're not worthy. I don't deserve any of the prayers I ask you. I'll never, you understand that? Like I'll never actually deserve. We we talk like that, you know, you deserve better. No, you don't. No, I don't either, right? Right? You know, you deserve to have a happy life. No, I don't deserve to have a happy life. If I receive it, it's mercy. And when I talk like that, I rob from God what He does for me. Because God loves me. And God is merciful. And God is gracious. And I see that. And God you're worthy. And if anything, man, if I have a, a, a wife that loves me, if I have healthy children, if you've given me friends, if you put food on my table, if, if, my, if my body works the way it should work, if, if I'm able to use my gift for all those things, I don't deserve any of them, God. You are just magnanimously gracious. That's Daniel's prayer. Now, he goes to God in prayer and then in, in the last, you know, verses 20 to 27, we get God's answer. Ian e. Bounds says, God, God shapes the world by prayer, and he does. Now, here's what you need to know about prayer. Here's what you need to know about the sovereignty of God and prayer. God has sovereignly determined to do all kinds of things in this world through prayer. So let me say it this way. Th- there are things that you will never receive unless you ask them. God has sovereignly determined, Chris, I want to bless you. I want, I want, I want to give this to you. There, there, there are treasures, spiritual treasures, Chris, that I want to unlock for you, but you must pray. And God's, this is how he runs the world. There are kings and kingdoms that will come and fall and totter and all these things that will happen because you pray. There are things that will never be unearthed, never be unlocked, Chris, unless you pray. And hear me. We used to sing this song. Uh, we don't sing it much anymore. We probably should again. But this great hymn. Oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. And there's a stanza in that 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 uh, that hymn that says, "Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear." Isn't that interesting? All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Now think about what it just said. There's a lot of needless pain in this world, isn't there? There's a lot of peace we forfeit daily, daily, moment by moment. Why? Because I don't go to God in prayer. And so God is saying, Chris, I, I want to unlock some things. Daniel, I'm going to now unlock some things because you prayed. And I want to suggest to you, God always answers prayer. He just may not answer it in your lifetime. So now watch this. Let's just kind of ask some questions of these last, four, these last several verses. Number one, when did God answer Daniel's prayer? Well, go to, go to verse 20. And uh, and look what it says here. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God. He's talking about Jerusalem. While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at first, chapter 8, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. Okay, so what does he say? As soon as I started praying, God answered. While I was praying. In other words, the wheels, think of it this way, the wheels of God's answer started to turn. It okay, doesn't mean I fully realized, does it? It doesn't mean that at all. It doesn't mean he got everything he was praying for. It meant the answer started to come. Gabriel comes in swift flight, and he's going to tell Daniel, Daniel, God heard you, and things are starting to move, Daniel. And it's not going to be quite what Daniel expected, but he did it while he was praying. God is answering while you're praying. But the interesting thing to me is Daniel says something else. He says he did this at the time of the evening sacrifice. Now, this is curious to me, okay? Follow me here. Daniel has lived in Babylon his entire life, other than maybe, I don't know, let's say he was 15 years old. So... So he's waiting for 70 years to pass. The time is almost up. So let, let's just let's be generous and say he's been in Babylon for 60 years. Okay? He's been out of Jerusalem, in exile out of his home country for 60 years. He has not seen a sacrifice in the temple for 60 years. I think this is safe to say. What's the evening sacrifice, by the way? It's sacrifice. There was a morning offering that was made of a lamb and an evening. Jesus, in fact, was crucified at the time of the evening sacrifice, 3 p.m., 3 to 5 p.m. is when this happened. So, So there's this evening sacrifice. At that time, he came to me. Now, what I find striking about this is a couple things. After 60 years, Daniel tells time by Jerusalem. After 60 years, his life is still ordered around that whole system, around God, around all this. I mean, do you see what's happening here? I never gave up. I'm in this strange foreign land. I'm amidst people that do not serve and love my God. you see what this means, exiles? And yet my life is ordered around God. I mean, utterly ordered. But I think Daniel also understands that what allows him to go into the presence of God and what brought the answered prayer at first is the fact that there was a sacrifice. Now, now understand there's no blood of a bull or goat or anybody that ever took away any human sin. They simply pointed forward to who? To Jesus. And so the writer of Hebrews will say, Now I can come boldly before the throne of grace because Jesus Christ has passed through the heavenlies through his blood on my behalf. This is how we read our Old Testament and New Testament together. Time of the evening sacrifices. That's when. The second question I want to ask is, why did God answer Daniel? This is really interesting. Look at verses 22 and 23. He says, he made me understand, speaking with me and saying, oh, Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight understanding. So here's, here's my reason, Daniel. Here's one of the reasons I come. I want you to understand the answer to your prayer because it will not be what you expect it to be, Daniel. But then look, at the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, <clears throat> And I have come to tell it to you. Why? For you are greatly loved. Can you believe he put that in there? I mean, the, the angel Gabriel came at God's command and said to Daniel, here's what I want you to hear. You know why God answered this cry for mercy? Because God loves you. I told you before, everything written in Scripture, Paul says, is written for your encouragement. It's written for your edification. Like some of you, you know what? This needs to be your verse this week. You are greatly loved. Like God moves heaven and earth. I mean, like moms and dads, those of you with really young children, do you remember the days when like they were babies and and you knew the difference between, like, a cry and a cry. Like, there was that one, like, I'm in pain kind of cry. And, man, when you heard that, boom, it was all over. I mean, there's times, you know, they're, they're, they're whining in bed. That's what they're doing right now, right? They don't want to be there, so we're going to let them stay. But there's other times where, man, a cry went up and it was like, boom, you'd, a, you'd, a, you'd, a, you'd a knock down doors to get to them. This is God. He heard your cry. And like a good dad, his comes. Why? Because I love you. I love you. God loves you. <laughs> it's amazing that in the sovereignty of God, he made sure that was in Scripture. But let's keep going. What was God's answer? <laughs> now, this is where the wheels fall off, okay? This is where it gets really, really difficult. So I'm going to read it to you, okay, and then we'll, we'll make our way through. Verse 24, here's the answer. I'm going to make this clear. Daniel, I'm going to give you insight and understanding. Ready? 70 weeks, literally 77s are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity. To bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophet, to anoint a most holy place. By the way, look at your footnotes. That'll say it could be a most holy one. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for sixty-two weeks it shall be built again with squares and mode, but in a troubled time. And after sixty-two weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood. And to the end, to, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. Verse twenty-seven. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing, and by the way, that word can mean extremity or extreme, the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. All clear? Let's pray. Just kidding. (laughs) It's about what I should do. Now, listen. Uh, Alistair Begg, many of you know him, probably his name. He's a great preacher, a Scottish guy. And he, um, he was preaching through Daniel 9, 24 to 27. And listen to what he said. He said, In what follows, I reserve the right to change my mind later this evening. And so often is necessary for the rest of my life until I finally settle the matter. What I'm about to now unfold for you will annoy some, disappoint others, confuse many, and perhaps encourage a few. Right? This is exactly how I feel I have studied this passage for literally for weeks now. I have read I don't know how many things about one person's opinion. And I, and I'm, I kid you not when I tell you I have not found one commentator that agrees with another. Okay, So, so what I'm about to say, I'm going to tell you I hold this very humbly. Okay, I, I, I want to place this before you. And what I want to try to do is not lose the forest for the trees. Okay, so that we, you get the bigger idea because there have been calculations of 62 and 7 and a half and 70 times 7 and all this that make like a calculus major's head swim, right? So I don't want to go there. I want to I help us and I want, I think God wants to help us. I think God wants this to, to be helpful to all of us. Now, some of you, you know, you hear us say things like the scriptures are clear, but the, some, some scriptures are very hard, aren't they? Like, like. Um, Daniel 9, 24 to 27 is a hard scripture. There's this doctrine, and I'm just going to give you a, a 25 cent word, called the per- perspicuity of scripture, which just means scripture is clear. And some of you would say, I beg to differ because I have no idea what this means, right? <laughs> Here's what we mean when we say scripture's clear, the clarity of scripture. We don't mean all scripture is equally clear. We mean that scripture is clear in so far as anybody, even a, a child, can understand Scripture and what's necessary for salvation. But that doesn't mean there's not hard things. I mean, Peter is going to write in 2 Peter and say, you know those letters of Paul, which he says are Scripture? He says, some things in the letters of Paul are hard to understand. So this is us, Right? There's some things that are really hard to understand. So, so what do we do with this? Okay, how do, we, how do we approach this? Okay, well, here's what I want you to see. Here's the overarching idea of chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. God has a prophetic plan for the salvation of His people. Okay, so this is Daniel. Here's your answer. You prayed, and I'm going to answer. And, and Daniel, here's the problem, though. It's not going to be the way maybe you think it is. Yet you're going to go back. The people of Israel will go back in that 70-year time, I promise. But, but the fullness of God's promise to you, the people of God, will not come about in, 70, in, these, in the last few years. It's going to take human history for this to unfold for you. God has a prophetic plan for the salvation of His people. Now, now, so now we get to the details, and these are difficult, and these are hard, but, but don't get lost in the details, okay? Stay up here with the big picture and understand that God has a plan. And he's working that plan, even if I don't fully understand what's going on. So let me, let me kind of unpack the plan a little bit and help us with some kind of broad strokes here, okay? The first thing in his prophetic plan is that in his time, God will deal with sin through Jesus, okay? So now go back to verse 24 and watch this. 77s are decreed about your people and your holy city, okay? So, so whatever that means, we don't know. We don't know, does that mean 490 years? Does that means some other, you know, figurative thing? Is it a year of all this completeness? But what we do know will happen is that in there, it says, to finish the transgression, look at this, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Okay, so Daniel, let's start here. Daniel, God's going to fulfill everything he promised it just won't happen in your lifetime, Daniel. 77s are going to be added to this. So I don't know. Daniel may be thinking, well, oh, that's 500 years. That's, uh, that's a long time. I really don't know what kind of time. What's important is that he understands. See, it's going to happen, Daniel. God will do it even if you don't know the, the details. What Michelle and I were talking about this morning. Why does God do this? Why does God put chapter 9, verses 24 to 27 in Scripture? when it's so unclear. And I think maybe the reason he does this is just to keep us humble. To just go, you don't know everything. And are you going to trust me? Are you going to trust I know what this means? Are going to trust me to, 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 to like make sure that all this stuff happens? See, God will accomplish everything he has determined to accomplish in his own time. And he says, Dan, you're going to have to Wait. You're going to have to wait for this answer. See, we want an answer now, right? We're so used to things instantaneously. Apparently now, you know, Amazon will drone a book to me in 30 minutes. Got to have it right now, right? I got to have instant coffee. I got a microwave oven. Everything got to be able to be prepared within half an hour. There's now cookbooks, about half an hour. I mean, I just got to be able to have everything right when I want it, no delay. And that's just not how the Christian life works, ever. I prayed and God didn't answer. How long have you prayed? Well, I started last night. Well, <laughs> that's probably not going to happen today, right? Like God has His own timetable. Hear me. He has His own timetable and often His timetable is not your timetable. I mean, I, I, listen, there, there were people that were praying 50 years ago at Foothill Church about what we're seeing today. And they're dead now. My dad prayed his entire life for my oldest brother, Scott. My dad dies May of 2012. My brother, Scott, comes to faith in October of 2013. Did God hear my dad's prayers? You bet he did. You bet he did. We look at that and say, God, you're so slow. And God answers and says, Chris, what you count slowness, he'll tell us in Peter, is my patience. I'm just, listen, somebody said that the the wheels of God grind exceedingly slow, but incredibly fine. Exceedingly slow. This is what God does. And we need to hear this. You need to know that there are probably things that you're praying about today that you're hoping about for day, today. God hears. The wheels are in motion. You may not see the answer in your lifetime. Then he goes on and he starts to talk about this like um, the 77s and he says there's six things. I want you to just, just, just listen to it again, okay? And I want you to answer me. Who is he talking about here? Uh, the transgression. He says God's going to do this. Put an end to sin. Atone for iniquity. Bring in everlasting righteousness, seal both vision and prophet. You might say, "Mm, don't know what that means. And to anoint a most holy one. Okay, class, who are we talking about? Right? This isn't as confusing as it seems. What's a seal, the vision, and prophet? Well, either way, Jesus is going to accomplish all of these things. If seal means to they're done with, then when Jesus comes and we are in the final kingdom, there's no need for a seal. But if seal means to vindicate, to validate, this is exactly what Paul says in Romans. That the gospel was foretold by the prophets. And here it is in Jesus. He atones for iniquity. He puts an end to sin. We just sang this, by the way. We're praising God who put an end to all my sins we we just sang daniel This is what God does. This is what he does through Jesus Christ. So so there he is in time doing this through Jesus Christ, everlasting righteousness. Maybe we're waiting for that seventh week to end. We don't know where we are, but Jesus Christ will do it. So James Boyce says this, by whatever set of calculations one makes, the point is that by the end of 69 weeks of years, or shortly thereafter, the great work of the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ for sin should be completed. That's what you need to know that Jesus Christ has conquered our sin. But the second thing I think we learn is that in his time, God will judge his people. Now, now, now follow me here, okay? Because here's what he says. He says, um, in verse 25, he says, understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming, look at this, of an anointed one, a prince. Who do we think that's talking about? Jesus, right? Okay, so if he's talking about, if the anointed one, the prince, is Jesus. And I think it is in verse 25. Then look what it says in verse 26. And after 66 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince, now who are we talking about? Who's the anointed one? Jesus. Who are the people of the prince? Some people think, oh, this is the people of the Romans. But if the anointed one, the prince is in verse 25, that's Jesus. The anointed one, the people of the prince are Jesus and his people. And they will destroy the temple. How? The same way they destroyed the city and the temple in Daniel's day. Who ultimately gets the blame for for destroying the temple in Daniel's day? The people. Their sin caused the destruction of the temple. Their sin caused the destruction of the city. Right? Nebuchadnezzar comes in, sacks the city. Same thing is going to happen in AD 70. The Roman general Titus will come in and he will decimate the city of Jerusalem to the point that the temple, to this day, if you go visit Israel, you can walk up on the temple mound where, the, where, where, where Herod's temple stood for the people of God. And and you'll see, not one stone remains, just like Jesus said. In fact, so complete is the destruction of the of the Jerusalem temple, the 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 second temple of Herod, that they don't even know where it sat on the temple mount. They have no idea. We think maybe it's around here. And this happens. Exactly like God. God's going to come, and He's going. Why? Why why did God judge the people and destroy the temple in Daniel's day? Because they rejected God. Why will He do that in AD seventy? Because they rejected the Anointed One. They rejected the one sent to Him, the one greater than all the prophets. So God will judge His people. But then, lastly, in His time, God will affirm His covenant and destroy evil. Look at verse twenty-seven. And He shall make a strong covenant. Who's He? Well, I'm going to say this is Jesus, and this strong covenant is the new covenant, and he's going to make it with us, right? And he's going to, he's going to, he's going to put an end to sacrifice. How does Jesus' new covenant put an end to sacrifice? That's exactly what the new covenant is. There's, the temple becomes obsolete. There's no need for any sacrifice anymore. It's over, No sacrifice needs to be offered because the one final sacrifice has been given. Now, does this mean that all sin, nobody will ever sin again? Of course not. People will sin. In fact, he says this this desolation will come, and he says "On on on the wings of abomination shall come one who makes desolate. Now, what's that? I told you that word wings means kind of extreme, extremity. In other words, the abominations will get so extreme, one will come who will make desolate. What happens? What do we know happens in Jesus' lifetime? The greatest abomination ever committed in the history of the world. The the perfect Son of God is crucified on a Roman tree. That's what I think is happening. And yet, he says, until the decreed end, it's decreed, God has decided it's going to end. It's poured out on the desolator. So the, the desolator is still out in the world. We're still somewhere in this seventh week. And he's still wreaking his havoc. And yet God is saying, I will bring it to an end. My covenant will prevail. And I'm going to triumph over all that sin. Now this is great hope, by the way. Because this means that at our worst, Christ came and did his best. Christ brought us the new covenant when abominations were to the extreme, that where, where sin is present, grace abounds, Paul says. This is abounding, steadfast love and grace. This is is nothing like we've ever seen before. And God says, and I'm going to bring everything to an end. There is coming a day when evil will be done with. There is coming a day when all my sin, I'll never have to worry about it again. It's over. It's been paid for right now, but I'll never sin again. I don't have to worry about the fall of it anymore. Everything's gonna be great. Everything's perfect. But in the meantime, we wait. In the meantime, we hope. In the meantime, we serve. In the meantime, like last week, we keep going about the king's business, knowing that someday God's going to put all to rights. The clock is ticking. Now, look it. Let me just say this. If I've thoroughly confused you, first of all, I apologize. <laughs> Second of all, let me just end with this. Let me land the plane and let this just kind of settle over you. I love how Dale Ralph Davis sort of summarizes all this for us. So what's the message of Daniel 9, 24 to 27 to Daniel and to us? Something like this. You're called to a long obedience. Your people will be sustained even in distressing times. And the great hater of God's people sits in the Lord's crosshairs with the date of his demise clearly marked on God's calendar. You may have wished for more than that, but that's mostly what Daniel 9 is about. And that's not bad. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we thank you that all Scripture is profitable and I pray this would bring profit to us to know that God, while we may get lost in the weeds, while we may try and hammer out what's happening in some of these verses, what we can be very clear about is that you answered Daniel's prayer and you answer our prayers. And God, you answered it in a way that maybe none of us would expect and you'll do that with our prayers. And you showed him that that there's a day when evil's coming to an end, when we got to wait and be patient in the meantime, knowing that the devil and his, and his minions are in your crosshairs, and someday you're going to bring everything and bring justice to reign, to roll down like waters. We love you and we praise you that we can have that confidence in you. We rest in you. We love you, Jesus, and we ask this in your name. Amen. Amen.